welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. So this week, we are here with some news about box office and Hollywood nonsense. We decided to go into this this week because it is nearing the end of the summer movie season. And as many of you are perhaps aware, it has not been a great summer for Hollywood. I just putting it mildly. Ticket sales are down. There has not been a big movie that has been a rousing critical success. And there has been a lot of what we might call reboot fatigue. <laughs> so we thought we'd talk a little bit about that and then also look forward to some other movies that are going to be coming out next year and in the future or supposedly coming out in the future that look really bad uh, and talk about what's going on in Hollywood that's making this happen. This is obviously something that we discuss on this podcast relatively frequently. It's something that we're really interested in, but the nuances of what's happening right now are really quite something. So why don't we start with uh, a little recap of what happened this summer, which is not really a good sign, I think, for what's to come for the big studios in Hollywood, which is basically that with a couple of exceptions, most of the big sort of tentpole movies underperformed quite badly. Yeah, so like um, at the box office, a lot of them have made money that sounds preposterously high, so like half a billion. But for a lot of those films, because they're so expensive and the marketing costs are so high, they're not super profitable, but also they've not had like an emotional impact on the audience and they've not received positive reviews. Like there's been several films that came out this year, you know, like Captain America and Batman and stuff, which sort of didn't happen. They, like, didn't resonate in the way that those films should have done. Yes, and Captain America has been one of the most financially successful movies of the year. Like, that's kind of an... Yeah, I mean, that, that movie made a ton of money. About. Yeah, but even that, compared to the previous Captain America movie, definitely did not have the resonance... Um, or the sort of like critical success. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier definitely was received well by critics, and obviously the fans loved it. And I think a lot of people liked um, Civil War, but it, it did not receive the same level of adulation. And then obviously Batman v Superman, which was not a summer movie, but I think we can kind of group into this conversation. And Suicide Squad both made a ton of money on their opening weekends, and then I think we could, that Batman definitely did, and I think we're seeing this with Suicide Squad 2 sort of dropped after that and were savaged by critics in a big way. Um, and those are sort of like the superhero movies, which seem sometimes, I think, to dominate all studio filmmaking, but are not actually the only things that come out of the studios or the only movies that are in theaters. Yeah, there so are... there's been a lot of kind of think piece action with this one because it's it's just been so unsuccessful. It's like eye-catchingly unsuccessful. But um, someone, for some reason, decided to remake Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> and this sure. is one of, yeah, this is one of several very expensive movies that happened this summer without anyone noticing so, like, obviously they were promoted, but nobody was really champing at the bit to watch Ben-Hur. It stars maybe some inflatable dolls and a car crash <laughs> dummy. I don't know. There's probably someone famous in it somewhere, right? Morgan Freeman Morgan is the Freeman. famous person. Right. But he's also not playing the, like, main guys. Yeah. Like, but it's like they were like, we're going to make a modern action movie with a kind of slightly techno-influenced soundtrack, as far as I can tell from the trailers. 
and it's going to be of this sort of like beloved rather old-fashioned christian historical movie (laughs) surprisingly it has not done well it made 11 million dollars on a budget of 100 million on its opening weekend yes so we should also say at sort of at the beginning here that it's extremely difficult to calculate whether a movie is profitable based on its box office because that is only one component of what's going on with a movie's finances so on a very basic level there's marketing that goes into a film which doesn't get reported in its official budget right because the official budget is just what it costs to literally make the movie um studios also have to pay theater chains for actually showing the movie but then on the opposite side studios are also bringing in things bringing in income from things like uh selling rights to show the movie to airplanes or to cable although that's less of a thing now but also then to like netflix and amazon and all of these different places so there are all there's lots of different stuff going on like as an outsider we just don't have all that information but it's not a great sign when a movie that cost $100 million to make makes $11 million on the opening weekend. It's like the absolute perfect example of a remake that nobody wanted, right? Like there was a tweet that Morgan found from uh, this film critic Mark Harris where he's basically saying obviously Ben-Hur was always going to flop because young people do not give a shit about Ben-Hur. Like there was no reason why anyone would. And then old people who liked Ben-Hur find it sacrilegious to like remake it with a kind of modern bunch of hunks fighting each other over you know the chariot race like that's not the focus of the film it's meant to be like a deep emotional classic hollywood cinema you know standing in front of a cardboard set with a bunch of horses movie i was talking to someone about this today a movie like this made now there's so much cgi right and the original ben-hur which i have not actually seen i think i've seen like clips of it but even if you do have the sort of like backdrops and stuff they had to use real horses for like the chariot race, right? Because they didn't have CGI horses. <laughs> and some of that sort of feeling of um, texture and realness is part of what makes a lot of those movies from that period of that type, sort of like gladiator, like, you know, sandals, epics. It gives them flavor, even if you can sort of tell they were made in a studio. And now, like, what is the appeal of watching a Ben-Hur movie with like CGI chains and shit? Like, I don't understand this and hollywood has made a ton of these sort of like and they've all like desert been successful and like tarzan as well which came out two months ago and you know was panned and was not necessary and like conceptually is not like even more so than men her like the concept of tarzan doesn't fit in the 21st century i haven't seen the film but there were aspects of the trailer i was like this seems racist this seems weirdly colonial what what is happening here (laughs) So Tarzan actually did pretty well on the foreign box office, which is mystifying to me. But even that, like, so that was budgeted $180 million, made $125 million domestically, and then $222 million internationally. So that one is sort of more complicated to tell, like, what the finances of that will be in the long term. But that's definitely not as much money as they wanted to make. And what is amazing to me is that someone was like, I know what we should do. We should make another Tarzan movie with Alexander Skarsgård and spend $180 million on it. 
what what was the what were those meetings like? I would love to have been a fly on that wall because if someone if I were running a studio, haha, and someone came to me with that pitch, I would just be like, no, please leave my my boardroom. <laughs> this is not because it's just nonsense. And I mean, they made some some money, but like, and this is what people have started t- sort of talking about finally is whether or not all of these reboots are a good idea and obviously the sort of like film critic population has been opposed to this for years just on artistic grounds because it's boring and stale but from a business perspective this doesn't really seem to make sense yeah i mean it's the false narrative of you of being small c conservative and being like we're gonna do something low risk but actually it's not low risk it's just like something you did before for lower returns right and I get the obsession with sort of, like, we have to do a Spider-Man movie every two years because people love Spider-Man. Like, I think at a certain point, this sort of superhero bubble is definitely going to burst. But at least Spider-Man is a character that people love. Like, that's a proven fact that people love Spider-Man. And at this point, the fact that we're going to have, have had three different Spider-Mans in, like... 15 years seems excessive to me, but I can sort of wrap my mind around this logic. It's not that complicated. Ben Hur is a different can of worms. Like, I'm not really sure what the thought process is there. Someone just a- felt the need for more Ben Hur. But <laughs> we have, we've lined up some films. We've, we've, we've been kind of talking about like what are the worst films that we've seen announced in, like, Hollywood press. No, I, okay, some of these look really bad, and one of them is just, like, really baffling. Like, it's hard to understand why it exists as a concept. If you follow Hollywood press, you've probably heard of at least a couple of these. But we're just going to, like, do a quick run-through <laughs> some of the films that are due for the next two years, because they're truly stunning. And I'm going to start with the one that I actually would watch. Well, or at least the one that I don't find ethically bad. So obviously Pokemon, people enjoy Pokemon. Everyone is playing Pokemon Go. And there's a big nostalgia factor for people who are aged 15 to 35, right? Like everyone has fucking played Pokemon as kids, or at least you're aware of it. And like, if you're making a Pokemon movie, there's kind of two ways, or maybe three ways I can imagine going with this. The first is just to do like a live action adaptation of the old cartoons and games with the main character Ash and his friends Misty and Brock, and then they go on like fantasy adventures and catch Pokemon. Then there's one where they make up some new American characters and it's like a young adult drama with Pokemon in it and catching Pokemon. And the third is some kind of Hollywood adaptation of the Pokemon Go game because everyone is familiar with Pokemon Go and they try and do some weird like stupid thing with with phones and stuff, which would be garbage, but it's very plausible. Instead, the first first live action Hollywood Pokemon movie is going to be Detective Pikachu. (laughs) Yes. It's truly incredible, and this is also based on a mobile game, but it's a mobile game that I don't believe has even been released in the US. But when it is released in the US, it's not going to be as popular as Pokemon Go, because it's it's a game where you are solving crimes with Pikachu, who speaks with like an adult man's voice. So it, and it's kind of like a Sherlock thing as well, because like the trailer they have for the game has like the Sherlock music, and it looks like cartoon Sherlock. And it's like, the, the people they've got making this film are good, right? They've got Nicole Perlman, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, and they've got the showrunner of Gravity Falls. So it's like two people who can definitely make a funny kids movie. But like, it's Detective Pikachu. It's a crime movie where Pikachu is a detective. I, I just 
I don't. We've discussed this before, and I still can't. It, it's honestly the most baffling like thing. Because it's so easy to understand why Hollywood wants to rush through a Pokemon movie, because obviously it will do super well, because everyone loves the brand. And they've chosen the one thing that everyone's just going to be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I, it's, it's baffling to me, because in that case, there is an obvious answer that's right in front of them. Of a clear movie that they could make that would appeal to people and would make a ton of money. And instead, they're doing this. I... You just okay. take, like, a couple of Disney Channel kids and, like, put them in front of a green screen. <laughs> like, it literally doesn't even have to be good. <laughs> nope. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's the first one. And I think the second one is something which I think we're both genuinely shocked is still going ahead. Because when this film was announced, it was like, you do not need to know anything else about it to know that it's the worst film idea and should never happen. And it's something that even in, like, 1980 would have been very dodgy. And this is the film Reassignment, where Michelle Rodriguez plays an assassin who, at the beginning of the film, is a man. And then a kind of rogue surgeon, played by Sigourney Weaver, puts this man through unwilling sex reassignment surgery, turns him physically into Michelle Rodriguez, who then goes on like a revenge mission. There's no way to not make this concept really offensive and transphobic and inexplicable. And it's by the guy who made the Warriors. It's it's mind-boggling. And in other ways, completely unsurprising. Right? Like, of course. Sure, that's happening. But what? Its original what? title was Tomboy, A Revenger's Tale. <laughs> uh-huh. That also does not strike me as something that's probably going to make a ton of money. I'm not really sure who the audience for that movie is. Literally like, no one. Because it's like, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like an exploitation movie from like uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, right? But even then, that would be something that was released, you know, it's like a grindhouse thing. And this is a film starring people. Like Sigourney Weaver is the most surprising to me. Because Michelle yeah. Rodriguez is not super clued in politically, as far as I can tell. But like Sigourney Weaver is like a 60 year old Hollywood actress who presumably has quite a lot of money. So she looked at the script and was like, yeah, definitely going to make this film, which is incredibly offensive and also going to be bad. And that's actually, that is an original concept, right? I believe so. So it's the one exception. So that's the original stuff that Hollywood is producing. But there are a couple other other things that are not original that are on our list. We have two more, um, which I feel are, are thematically similar. They are not reboots or remakes or adaptations. Technically, I guess you could argue that one of them is an adaptation. It sort of depends on how specific you want to get with that terminology. One of them, which we mentioned last week at the end of our podcast, is the Tetris franchise, which has recently been announced. I think there are going to be three. Is that right? Yep. It was picked up for one film, and then the story they conceived of is so big that it had to be split up into three films. Because how, how could you contain the story of Tetris? Yeah. And for those who are, I'm assuming like 99% of listeners are familiar, but like what we're talking here is a game that has no characters. It is literally <laughs> just abstract shapes that fall down from the top <laughs> down to the bottom. And there is literally nothing more complex than that. 
if they manage to like weave this into like some kind of philosophical parable, I will give them all knighthoods. It is right. my prerogative as a British person. I can give them all knighthoods. But otherwise, I mean, they are going to be making a whole, or they're going to attempt to make a trilogy after the first one, presumably flops. Right. And it's going to be about blocks. But there's going to be actors in it. It's mystifying. Yes. And the other one that I feel is sort of thematically similar to this is the Emoji Movie, which <laughs> is coming out on August 11th, 2017. Morgan, you didn't give it its full title. It's called, is there a... No, it's called Emoji Movie, one word, colon, express yourself. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, so apparently Sony won the rights to this project because there was a bidding war. Because everyone just was so entranced by the idea of Emoji Movie, one word, that they just... Oh, my God, I can't even... It's too much. It's you see, too much. If I was, so if I was someone who was working for Sony and they were like, we're going to give you a break and it's going to be the Emoji Movie, my concept would be, it would be like a Serrano de Bergerac film where someone is communicating through emojis <laughs> to like seduce their friend or like their friend's love interest and then they fall in love through emoji communication. That would be my concept because I've, I've had a bit of a think about this. But... <laughs> What I'm guessing is they're actually going to go for like a minions thing and the emojis are going to be characters, I'm I'm assuming. But we've already had minions, which is like literally the concept of minions is that they're emoji. Like they are emoji with legs. And the other thing we've had is inside me where you have the people with their little emotion avatars inside their head. So like those bases have already been covered. What is the third base? There is no other... There's nothing left to explore in the very thin concept of small faces with expressions. Well, clearly, whatever this pitch was really just ignited all of these studios because they wanted it bad. Although, obviously, I'm not enthused about this concept. There's, like, a lot of films of this type where I can understand the business reasons behind making a film about something shit that has a really strong brand. But, like, this isn't one of those things. Like, you don't see people with t-shirts with emojis unless it's, like, the poop emoji and it's a joke, right? Right. You know? (laughs) It's not a thing. (laughs) And you can't make them sort of ironic like the Minions because it's just such a neutral thing. Yes. Well, (laughs) it gets back to, like, Hollywood's pathological inability to take risks on anything or what they perceive to be risks on anything, which as we were just discussing actually does then translate into risk, which is so nonsensical. You have all of these films that have to be tied to some pre-existing brand or product or whatever, unless I guess you are reassignment, the trans assassin movie, which somehow is getting made without this, but sure. But something like, the emoji movie, the fact that it's somehow connected to something that is recognizable, or I think there's going to be a Monopoly movie also, which, like, why? No one wants this. No one has any desire for a Monopoly. I mean, nothing could be more satisfying than a Monopoly movie failing uh, financially. It's kind of of like when, when, when the Ayn Rand movies were successively lost more and more money with each installment until they were literally crowdfunding it. It's like, the market has spoken. People are not paying for the film. (laughs) I think the best case study for this is the Point Break remake, which came out last summer, or last Christmas, actually. 
I think they pushed it back. Yeah, they released it um, at the same time as Star Wars on purpose. Yes, because they knew no one was going to watch yeah. it. Yeah. So, Point Break, we had discussed on a previous podcast, originally came out in the early 90s. Fantastic film. It was a sort of small movie. It was an unexpected box office hit. It made $43 million domestic box office, which early 90s, like, pretty good. Nobody expected anything. The domestic box office of the Point Break remake was $28 million. And its production budget was around $80 million more million than the original film. It's $105 million. Now, it did make quite a bit of money uh, overseas, but not nearly enough to offset that. And, like, overseas distribution has just ch- changed a ton in the last 20, 30 years. Um, but what, like, fascinates me about this is the idea that, A, anyone thought this was a good idea, similar to sort of Ben-Hur. Like, no one wanted this movie, as evidenced by the fact that no one went and saw it. But, B, that you would look at that and be like, oh, obviously in order to make Point Break, we have to spend $105 million. Like, no, you don't. There's no reason to do that. It was made by a nobody director, uh... Edgar Ramirez was the by far the most famous actor in it. So it's not like they were spending a ton of money on any of the, like, personnel. What were they... I'd, I guess, obviously, all the effects and stunts and whatever, but it's like Hollywood has just... Or, like, the big studios, I should say, have become addicted to the idea that you have to spend all of this money on these big films to then make the money back. But if once you've spent all of this money, then the amount of money that you have to make, be it through box office or through all of those other means that I was listening before, becomes that much greater. And it, you actually are making taking more and more risk by making... Like, it, it's such a sort of vicious, nonsensical cycle. Which kind of brings us to the 2018-2017 problem. I've actually seen a couple of articles about this already, theorizing that Hollywood, or at least one or two Hollywood studios, are going to literally collapse in 2018 under the weight of blockbuster yeah. movies. If you look at the releases that are coming out in 2017, I can easily see this happening next year. So I'm just going to read the films that are coming out next year. Not all of them, like I'm going to kind of skip the smaller dramas. So, 2017 films. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Thor 3, Kong Skull Island, starring Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston, which I will unfortunately have to see. <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, Pirates of the Caribbean, I guess, 6, a Power Rangers live-action movie, Wonder Woman, Beauty and the Beast live-action movie, Fast and Furious 8, Transformers, The Last Night, Star Wars Episode 8, Alien Covenant, which is the sequel to the prequel, the Lego Batman movie, Chris uh, Nolan's Dunkirk, which is an actual original movie, because Chris Nolan is the only person who's allowed to make original movies, yes. World War Z, which is reputedly going to be directed by uh, David Fincher, inexplicably, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey sequel, Kingsman sequel, The Mummy remake, Wolverine 3, Cars 3, The King Arthur movie by Guy Ritchie, yet another Underworld sequel, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, starring Vin Diesel, which I will be there on fucking opening night because Triple X is incredible, Baywatch, The Racist Ghost in the Shell movie, The Dark Tower adaptation with Idris Elba, John Wick 2, Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets, which I actually think is going to be like the best movie of the year. Um, it's like an adaptation of a French sci-fi comic by the guy who made The Fifth Element. So that's actually going to be good, but it is another huge comic book adaptation blockbuster. Oh yeah, and also there's going to be like 
uh, Jumanji and like a couple of others. But that volume of films... Oh no, sorry, how did I forget Blade Runner 2? Blade Runner 2 is allegedly going to be released at the end of 2017, although I will believe that when I see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like, that is a lot of fucking movies. And those are like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of big franchise names that are going to be com- competing for like a fortnight's worth of space in cinemas. Yes. Some of those movies will flop. It's, it's not possible for them all to do well. It's just statistically speaking, particularly since the price of tickets at movie theaters is just climbing and climbing and climbing because apparently the way to compete with Netflix is to make going to the movie theaters so expensive that no one wants to go to the movies anymore, which also is a great business strategy for Hollywood that is not the topic of this podcast, but also infuriates me. But there becomes so little space for anything else because they all, I think, feel so threatened by everybody else. And then that sort of encourages this mindset. And then the one kind of like huge original thing this year um, is the Jennifer Lawrence, Chris Pratt movie Passengers, which is like a sci-fi movie set in space. It's like a love story. I don't think... looks very good but uh, who knows obviously it's coming out uh at christmas time and it cost 120 million dollars now that movie stars jennifer lawrence and chris pratt so it's totally possible it will make a ton of money but again when you think about like the you know amount of advertising and all of this you know publicity and stuff they're gonna have to pay for that movie is also gonna have to make a ton of money to do well and when you think about the fact that the only original movies they're willing to make also cost this much, then when those original movies fail, it's sort of like, well, no one wants to go see a movie that's not based on a comic book or whatever, right? As opposed to the fact that, like, well, you've set it up to not do well. Because, like, most movies don't make that much money. Like, it's not actually normal to make a half a billion dollars at the box office. Like, that's not standard. And the other sort of mode now in filmmaking is to make a movie for, like, $2 million and then hope that it makes, like, six. And then if it does, you're doing great. Like, congratulations. And what is basically gone now from, you know, Hollywood, which we've talked about before, is anything in the middle range. You do have a lot of sort of like very small independent films that I think are doing really interesting things. And you have sort of like diverse stories being told. But those big movies being made are extremely disproportionately about white men, right? Straight white men, I should say. And Mark Harris, again, tweeted something I thought was really uh, interesting. Is that he said the top five grocers that aren't animated sequels or adaptations were, um, of 2016 so far were Central Intelligence, Bad Moms, The Boss, Lights Out, and The Shallows. And he pointed out that those movies were mostly about women and black people. Right? And, like, most have said he had to go 35 movies deep to find those five, which was also depressing, but it's like there's maybe an audience for movies that aren't about straight white men. Hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> they did not see Ghostbusters. Yeah, which of course is like the sad tale of 2016. But I think there was a lot of complex stuff going on. Obviously, we, we saw that there were a bunch of people who apparently were extremely obsessed with Ghostbusters that I wasn't really aware was a thing. 
But I wonder if part of that, too, is that other people don't care that much. Like, even the people who do care about Ghostbusters didn't care about Ghostbusters until Misogyny kicked in. Like, it's not a brand. Right. The thing is, I feel like the Ocean's Eleven remake, like the all-female Ocean's Eleven remake, that is definitely enough of a brand that, like, that would be a thing, right? But Ghostbusters isn't a franchise, even though I I really liked the new Ghostbusters, and I think I probably liked it more than if I rewatched the old ones. Um, like the concept of Ghostbusters is like nothing. There is nothing to talk about. It's just people being really funny. Like the concept is not really very complex and it doesn't like the tone of it does not lead itself towards deep emotions or a story of any kind. Right. And I wish it had done better, obviously. And I'm definitely going to see it at some point. It's just not, it's not a good time right now. And of course it's being used as always as kind of like, Oh, well, you know, the the female comedies, which is, I mean, not everyone by any means is saying that, but you get that sort of sense that that's how it's being taken in some quarters, which is obviously bullshit. But I wonder if what more is going on there is not that people didn't want to see those women in a comedy. Like, I think most of them are very popular, but that people just weren't that interested in that idea. Yeah, people were like hyped to see Suicide Squad because they thought it looked different, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't agree, but like that was the top reason. Yeah, because it looked interesting, like it looked fresh. Right, it was another sort of comic book movie, but it certainly did not look like Batman v Superman or any of the Marvel films. And like, like honestly, awful. this year I watched most summer blockbusters that aren't a Transformers movie. I would say the one that I think was the most pleasant was Star Trek Beyond, which didn't do that well, partly for marketing reasons. But, like, the only film of that type that's really going to make an impact from the entire year is Deadpool. And yes. And came out in February and cost, like, nothing. I still haven't seen that. I feel like... It's, you won't I like don't it. think it's going to... I know, I, but I, I didn't like, like it either. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm not going to like it, but I feel like I ought to watch it just out of completionist sake because it's the only one that people seem to actively like. Yeah. And, like, I, I realize that, like... I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, dump on it because, like, I know that, like, everyone loves it and I think I'm in the minority by not liking it. And I don't think it's, like, a bad film. But, um, yeah, it's the one, the only film of 2016 that happened and wasn't either really bland or kind of a mess. Stunning that that happened early. Because actually, most movies that come out in February are bad. I feel like the few movies that I would recommend to people from this year that I really liked, a movie that just came out on iTunes in the United States, I don't think in any other foreign country yet. I think it's still slowly being rolled out. It had a tiny release here. It was this film called The Fits about some young, uh, one girl, young girl in particular in a sort of like dancing class that is just like, I don't really know how to describe it otherwise, but it's, it's kind of got like a Salem witch trials thing going on. There's girls sort of start having fits and no one knows why. It is astonishing. Um, I think we both, sort of thought The Lobster was interesting, although it had some flaws, certainly compared to a lot of the other stuff. It's like a pretty wild, it's a pretty wild film. Uh, the documentary Wiener is a crazy time. Love I recommend Wiener. it. Yeah. I, see, I... I, I watched Wiener and then a couple of days later, I watched a documentary called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, um, which is like where a documentary crew are in Venezuela at the moment when a coup takes place. So they're there by mistake, by accident and get like locked in the palace in the middle of a coup. So it's like the far more high stakes version of the Wiener documentary yeah. <laughs> where they were accidentally there during like a penis scandal. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but that film was great. And then I think my favorite thing I've seen this year um, that's rolling out in 
the United States right now, kind of slowly, but um, it should be getting to quite a few places. And then it's coming out in the UK in September. There's a movie called Little Men by Ira Sachs. It's kind of about uh, gentrification in Brooklyn, but really about these two kind of 13-year-old boys who become friends. And it is so beautiful. I just, I cried at the end and I never cried at anything. Wonderful movie. Um, so there is some stuff out there. And it just doesn't happen to be stuff that costs a ton of money. Maybe someday we'll have good blockbusters again. Because I really Hail do Caesar enjoy... would be the other one I'd add to that list. Oh, really yes. good 2016 yeah. movie. I always sort of forget about that because it was so long ago that I feel like I think it was last year, but it was not. It was this year. I thought Hell Caesar was great, too. Yeah, so seek those out. Those would be my recommendations. Um, and there will be many more to come, hopefully, in the fall when the, the good movies start getting... <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to, there's, um, there's like a British dystopian sci-fi film coming out called The Girl with All the Gifts, which is based on a novel. It's kind of a zombie movie, but it's more interesting than kind of a lot of zombie movies. It's about a bunch of kids who are infected with like a zombie illness, but like they're, all, they're um, latent, so they don't necessarily like go out and bite. So it's like about a relationship between yeah. a young girl who's infected and her teacher, and they're in this kind of um, military bunker facility with a bunch of soldiers and other, other students. Well, that does sound interesting. And then I think the one sort of bigger one coming out this year that I think looks legitimately like it might be really good is the um, Denis Villeneuve movie Arrival with Amy Adams, which we've been talking about with the aliens. Yes, uh, Which definitely. I've heard very good things about sort of on back channel, so I'm hoping that that winds up being good. I and mean, that's not like huge budget, but it's sort of on a larger scale than a lot of these tiny indies. Um, so there is hope for the future. It's just sort of, again, not through, not through the mainstream channels. So I think that's, that's pretty much it for our our hollywood rundown <laughs> fortune telling session yeah <laughs> but next week we will be back with something rather more uh weighty and also exciting which we're going to announce later in the week yeah it's a little, be a little bit different from our typical fair but i think it's gonna be very fun so thank you for listening this week as always if you enjoyed this episode we would love it if you could give us a rating or review on itunes or whatever podcast service you use it's how we find new listeners and you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod and on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast bye